Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. Begin this morning by reading our text as we continue in our study of Romans. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we study your word today, Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might see glorious things in your word, Lord, that we might understand the gospel and that it might move on our hearts and motivate us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the big questions that people ask, these big meta questions, right, that people ask is, can people really ever truly change? I mean, a lot of times it feels like the answer is no. I mean, how many times have you heard it said, you know, this or that person, hey, look, they just are the way they are. They're not going to change. You just got to deal with it and accept it. Or maybe, you know, you yourself, you would say, you know, I have a bad habit or I have this thing in my life that I know isn't good or you have an addiction that you struggle with and you know it's wrong, you, you, you feel ashamed of it, but you just feel powerless to stop. And you've tried, but you just keep sliding back into it. You know, one of the most popular genres of books and podcasts and videos around is the genre of self-help. And that's kind of funny because on the one hand, our culture really is into this idea of affirmation, right? Like, hey, you're awesome just the way you are. Like, don't ever change anything. And yet on the other hand, uh, we are pushing out so many books, you could never read them all in a lifetime, that are all about how you're not okay and you actually need to change everything that you're doing and here's how, right? And it would seem that people are not happy with the way they are, otherwise they wouldn't be buying these books, right? It would seem that for a lot of us, there are things that we want to change about ourselves. There are things that we are not satisfied with when it comes to ourselves. You know, a while back I was listening to an audiobook on, the, it was a productivity book, and uh, the author kept saying, Hey, you know, you're perfect just the way you are. Don't change anything. But the whole point of the book was about how telling you all the things that you're doing wrong and how to change them. And the only reason anyone would ever listen to this book in the first place was because they didn't like something in their life and they wanted to change it. So this age-old question, though, that underlies all of that is, is change even possible? Like, can, can a person really change at their core? I mean, it's one thing to change on the outside, right? Like, you can change your physical appearance, but what about changing underneath, right? What about changing on the inside? Can you really change who you fundamentally are? Or what about those habits and those uh, attitudes, those stubborn, persistent sins which are part of your life? Is that just who you are? Is that just the way it's always going to be? Or is it actually possible to really experience deep and lasting change at the very core of who you are? And if so, how does that change come about? So those are the questions that Romans chapter 6 is dealing with specifically. And, and it gives us a message of incredible hope. I want you to see that today because here's what it tells us. Yes, a person can change. You can change. And the way that change happens is by God's grace coming into your life as you embrace the gospel. 
So let me give you a recap. Up until this point, uh, in the letter to the Romans, Paul has shown us two things. He's shown us why we need the gospel, and he's shown us how the gospel works, how the gospel saves us. He started out in chapters 1 through 3 telling us why we need the gospel. He said, the reason is because we are unrighteous, but God is righteous, and God's judgment is coming upon all unrighteousness. Then in the second half of chapter 3 and into chapter 5, he talked about how the gospel works. How does the gospel actually save us? And he showed us that we are justified. In other words, we're made right with God, not by what we do, but by what Jesus did for us. And we receive that by faith. Then in chapter 5, he answered that question of like, hey, how can it be that the actions of one man are able to save all people? How does that work? So now we come to chapter 6. And, and from chapter 6 through chapter 8, Paul is now going to be talking about the implications of the gospel for our lives. The implications of the gospel for our lives. Like, like, what does this mean for us practically? These truths that we've been talking about. What do they mean for us practically? Not just in heaven someday in the future, but how do they work out for us on like a Tuesday at work or at home on a Saturday? Like, how does the stuff that we talk about on Sundays affect our Mondays? And now, now what we've seen so far up through chapter 5 is that what makes Christianity unique, what sets Christianity apart from every other religion, every other philosophy that exists in the world, is the message of grace. This is what differentiates Christianity from every other thought system, belief system, religion. Grace. Grace can be defined as a gift. A gift is not something that you earn. It's not something that you deserve. It's something that someone gives you simply because they want to. And, and whereas every other religion and every other philosophy in the world says, if you want to be right with God, well, here's a laundry list of things that you need to do. And if you try hard enough and you do enough and you work hard enough and you do it well enough, then maybe you can earn favor with God and maybe you can work your way up to God. But Christianity says something completely different. Christianity gives us a higher view of God and a higher view of sin than, than any other religion. It says that God is so great and your sin and my sin is so serious that it would be impossible for us to ever work our way up to him. But the good news is God loves you so much that rather than waiting for you to impossibly work your way to him, he has come down to you. That is the good news of the gospel. So salvation isn't something that we can earn. It's not something that we do earn. It's a gift that he gives us. It is a work of God on our behalf, and we receive it by faith. And so salvation is by grace. We've established that point so far here in Romans. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. But the next question is, okay, I understand that we're saved by grace, but how do we change? Like, how do we change from who we are now to who we know that we ought to be, to, to who God wants us to be? You know, in theological terms, we call that sanctification. In other words, so we're saved by grace, but how does sanctification happen? How do we how do we go through that process? How do we change from who we are into who we know that we ought to be and who we know that God wants us to be? We're saved by grace, but how do we change? How does that change happen practically? And what Paul says here in Romans chapter 6 is that the way that change takes place in our lives is also by the work of God's grace. It is an act of God but we have a role to play in the process as well. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There are three big issues that are addressed here in the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6. And we're going to look at those. So first, in verse 1, we're going to see the problem with grace is 
I'll tell you what it is in a second. The problem with grace is, then from verses 2 through 11, we're going to see the question, can a tiger change its stripes? And finally, from verses 12 through 14, we're going to talk about how to live as a free person. Okay, so let's begin by talking about the problem with grace. In verse 1, Paul says, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? So at the end of chapter 5, where we left off a couple weeks ago, Paul told us that we are saved by God's grace, and where sin increases, grace increases all the more. In other words, there is no sin so great, there is no sin so much, that God's grace isn't bigger and greater and more than that sin. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been with, no matter what you've done, you never have to wonder if God has enough grace for you. He absolutely does. But the problem with grace is that some people hear that, and rather than being relieved, they feel intrigued. They hear that message of grace, and rather than seeing the solution they've always needed, they see in it the opportunity they've always wanted. So when I was pastoring in Hungary, I had this situation happen. This girl came to our church, and she was in her late teens, and she came up to me one day after church, and she said, hey, I've been thinking about something. I wanted to just let you know about it. So she said, Well, so, you know, sometimes I hear people give their testimony, right, their story of how they came to faith in Jesus and and what God has done in their lives. And, you know, a lot of these testimonies I hear that are really powerful, they involve people like, you know, they were on drugs, they were homeless, and they shot drugs in their eyeballs, and they went and partied, and they did everybody in town. And, like, it's like, you know, they they were doing all these things, and and they were in all this really bad stuff, and then God saved them out of it. And, and it's glorious, and everybody hears those stories, and they're like, wow, God's amazing. But, and she was like, but you know, I don't have a story like that. I just grew up in a small town, and I started coming to church one day, and I believed, I got baptized, and I've never done anything really bad. So I was thinking that what I should do is, in order to have a powerful testimony, she's like, well, I've got these friends, and you know, I was thinking I could go with them for a little while and do some of the stuff that they're doing, you know, like parties and drugs and sleeping around. And that way, in the future, I'll be able to relate to people better. I'll be able to say, hey, I've been there. Hey, I used to do this and I used to do that, but now I'm walking with the Lord and it's so much better. Or like, hey, I did all that stuff, but God forgave me and he can forgive you too. And she was like, plus, I figure, what's the big deal anyway? Because if I go and do these things, God is going to forgive me anyway, so I might as well. I mean, why not? I'll just do those things for a while, and then in a little bit, I'll come back, and I'll repent, and I'll say I'm sorry, and God will have to forgive me because that's how it works. It's all about grace, right? Like, God will forgive me no matter what I do, so hey, why not do some of those things that I can do? So I'm going to go do some things, even though I know that they're wrong, and then I'll just come back, and I'll ask for forgiveness. And, uh, and if you think about it, she was like saying, the more God forgives the more that brings him glory. So if you think about it, I'm actually kind of doing God a little bit of a favor here. Like I'm kind of helping him out. I'm helping bring him more glory by by doing these these things. So, hey, everybody wins. Now, Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? Maybe not so overtly, but have you ever had those kinds of thoughts? Like, yeah, okay, I know that this isn't right, or, you know, this thing is not completely ethical, or maybe this isn't totally legal, but hey, look, God's going to forgive me anyway, so so I'm just going to do it anyway, and then I'll just ask for forgiveness later. I mean, Jesus said it's finished, right? So he already paid the price for all the sins that will ever be committed. So if I sin some more, it's not like he's not going to forgive me. 
Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Beset Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. And it's kind of like these people are like, they found the ultimate loophole in Christianity. Like they found the glitch in the system. They found the hole in the system, the big loophole, the flaw in the design. And, you know, they're basically like, wow, so really I can kind of do anything I want. And then all I have to do is come back and say, sorry, God, uh, please forgive me. And then he has to forgive me. So then I'm good again and I'm justified, you know, justified, like just as if you never sinned. That's what we always say about justification. So boom, huge loophole awesome, right? That's how some people look at it. And so some people would say, hey, God loves sinners. I've got an idea to help God really love me. I I think I can help God with that. Like it brings God glory to forgive sin. I think I can help bring God a lot of glory. And uh, you know, like my job's to sin, God's job's to forgive. So I'm going to do my job as well as I can. Like that's how some people look at it, right? And And so some people would say, you see, that's the problem with grace. That grace If people actually hear it, it's going to lead to licentiousness. You know, and Jude talks about this in the book of Jude, that little book that's right at the end of your Bibles, right before Revelation. It's one chapter long. In the epistle of Jude, Jude talks about this, and he says that there are some people who have perverted the grace of God, and they have turned it into a license for immorality. They've perverted the grace of God, and they've turned it into a license for immorality. Jude says some people, right, they take the grace of God as if it's like a license to sin, just like you've got a license to drive, and you've got a license to fish, like it's, it's a permission to do that activity. And there are some people who look at God's grace that way, as if because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay the price for their sins and redeem them, now they've got like carte blanche to do whatever they want with impunity. And this is why a lot of people would say, look, I, I understand this teaching about grace and, you know, that our status before God is based on what Jesus did and not on what we do or don't do. Uh, that might be true, like theologically, but I'm not sure it's helpful to tell people that. Because if you tell people that, right, that, it, that their status before God, that God's favor and blessing in their life is not predicated on their performance, but on Jesus's performance on their behalf, well, that's not going to encourage people to live lives of holiness and godliness. Instead, you're going to end up with Christians gone wild, right? Because if, if word gets out that God loves sinners, people are going to be like, well, I can help him really love me, right? Like if it brings glory to God to forgive sins, some people are going to be like, well, I'm going to bring God a lot of glory. They're going to take it as a challenge. But notice what it says there in Jude, that this is a perversion of God's grace. It's a twisting of it. It's making it into something that it was never meant to be. So in other words, the problem with grace 
is not actually a problem with grace at all. It's a problem with us, that we take something good and we pervert it. And so the question is, what should we do? That's, that's what he's asking here. What should we do? If the problem with grace is that some people will take it as an encouragement to sin more, then doesn't that mean that we should kind of dial back on talking about it? Like maybe we, if we really want to help people change, then what we need to do is lay down the law. We need to give them more rules, stricter rules, more accountability, stricter Let's find out. We see the answer to that in verse 2, starting in verse 2. Can a tiger change its stripes? So in response to the question which he poses in verse 1, then he begins in verse 2. He says, you know, first he says, hey, look, if we're saved by grace and it brings God glory to forgive us, then, hey, why not just continue sinning a bunch so that grace can abound? And Paul says in verse 2, no way. Like, are you kidding me? Like, get out of here like how how can we who died to sin still live in it that's what he asked how can we who died to sin still live in it and this is the key this is the answer to the question that we've been asking can a person really ever change and if so how does that change actually happen practically in their lives what needs to happen in order for a person to be radically and fundamentally changed at their core and the answer is this the only way for me to change the only way for you to change is for us to die. It's for us to die and then be born again. See, there's an old saying about how people never change, right? And that is, can a tiger change its stripes? Can a leopard change its spots? And the, the implication is no. Like a tiger will always be a tiger. A leopard will always be a leopard. A cheater will always be a cheater. A liar will always be a liar. You know, whatever it is, however you dress a person up, no matter how many times you, you bathe them and try to make them look good, they just are who they are. People don't change. No one can change who you are or who anybody else is. Unless, of course, I mean, a tiger can't change their stripes, but unless that tiger were to die and then be born again as a completely different creature. But I mean, isn't, I mean, who ever heard of something like that happening? But what the Bible's telling us here is that that is exactly what happens to a person when you put your faith in Jesus. You experience a kind of death. Your old life, the old person who you used to be, dies, ceases to exist. The old Nick is gone. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 puts it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. See, that's the same thing that we read in verse 6. Here in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, they read like this. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. The old me was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Why? In order to set me free. There's an old movie called Spartacus. It has Kirk Douglas in it. And in this movie, Kirk Douglas plays Spartacus, who is, who is an escaped slave who leads a slave rebellion. And there's this, this incredible line in the movie where someone asks Spartacus, you know, aren't you afraid of dying? Aren't, you know, you're doing all these things. Aren't you afraid of dying? Aren't you afraid of death? And here's what Spartacus says. He says, no, I'm not afraid of dying because death is the only freedom a slave will ever know. Death is the only freedom a slave will ever know. You see, but he, here's the thing. The old me was a slave. 
I was a slave to sin. There were things in my life that had mastery over me. And that's true of of each of us, all of us. If you look down at verse 16 of chapter 6, here's what it says. It says that our relationship to sin was not, it wasn't something we dabbled in. It wasn't a, a little hobby we had. We were enslaved to it. We were slaves to sin. We're in bondage to it. We're not free people just doing whatever we want. We are in bondage. We are slaves to sin. We are not free. But the good news, the great news of the gospel is that by the grace of God in Christ, we have died and been raised to new life. And the death of the old person means that we are now free from the slavery that we were in. We're free from the bondage, that obligation that we were in. If you have died, you're no longer a slave. Death is the only freedom a slave will ever know. And we have died in Christ. And so let's go back to verses three and four. It says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism is a tangible, visible picture of what happens inside a person when they unite themselves to Jesus. We just did a baptism a few weeks ago. And the way we do baptism here at Whitefields, we like to submerge a person all the way underwater. And there are a couple reasons for that. And let me tell you what those are. Number one, the Greek word for baptize is baptizo. It's very close to English, right? And what it means, it literally means to submerge. So if the word baptize means to submerge, well then I think we should just submerge. So the second reason is this. Because what this verse is telling us is that baptism is a symbol of death and resurrection. It's not just a symbol of being washed clean. It's a symbol actually of death and resurrection. That as the person goes under the water, it's a symbol of death and burial together with Christ. And as they come out of the water, it's a picture of rebirth and resurrection to new life in Christ. In other words, the old you has died and you become a new person if you put your faith in Jesus. This is what the Bible talks about when it uses this curious phrase, born again, right? Jesus told this man named Nicodemus, right? Remember what he said? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter, Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the idea is this, that when you put your faith in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for you, something radical takes place inside of you. You experience death and rebirth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it this way. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. The idea of a new creation, it means that you are a new creature. You have a new identity. And as a new creature, another part of that is that you have new desires, right? Like a sheep is a very different creature than a pig. And a sheep desires completely different things than a pig desires. They crave different things. They live for different things. And in the same way, we have become new creatures through this death and rebirth that we've experienced in Christ. And as a result, we have, a fundamentally, we have fundamentally different desires than we did before. There's an interesting thing uh, that we read in 1 John, the, the little short letter of 1 John. Here, here's, I'm going to read you two verses. Number one, uh, it starts in chapter 3, verse 9. John says this, No one who has been born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. 
So, so he's saying that if a person's been born of God, they don't go on sinning, right? That's what Paul asked. Should we go on sinning? By no means, if we've been born again. Now, that doesn't mean that you will never, if you become a Christian, that you will never struggle with sin again or you'll never sin again or even that you will never uh, struggle with habitual sin. Because here's, here's what it says in, in another part of that same letter. First John, he says this, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what he's saying is that a person who's become a Christian it's not saying that you will never struggle with sin, nor is it saying that you will never even struggle with habitual sin ever again. But what it means is that at your very core of who you are, there a change has taken place. The new you, the new true you, desires, lives for, wants to please God, and wants to live a holy life of, of following him. It's kind of like that, that analogy, right? Like a pig and a sheep. They're very different creatures, but both of them on occasion might fall into some mud. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 